Go on. What's going on? What have you missed? What have you, where have you been for the last couple of weeks anyway? I was here last week and you weren't here. Is that true? I, I just couldn't do anything. Huh? That's true. That's not true. It is true. You weren't here either. I was. You were in Ireland. You were in Ireland with that Joe Biden fella. I was. Did uh, you meet him? Well, I had to go there to kind of just prep security for him and stuff um, like that. Make sure. Uh, I knew it. You are on his team. Make sure no one would, <clears throat> no one would uh, interfere with the, uh, with the glowing reception he received. From but no one did from the Irish people. What? No one did. No one. What did what? Interfere with the glowing reception. No, it was it was it was awesome. It was. You uh, think you'd have better things to do than faff around in Ireland? You know, four days. Yeah, four meeting days. the family. It was a bit of a. It was just a bit of a holiday for him, wasn't it? More than anything. That's what the press said when Trump went with his sons mm. in 2019. It was a holiday. None of that now. <clears throat> no. Now it's like, oh no, no, it's no. Awesome. Very, very personal. Personal. It's amazing. Important, important trip. It's amazing the lack of cynicism. I mean, you know, cynicism, being cynical gets a bad rap and cynicism gets a bad rap. You know, don't be too cynical. You're, you're so cynical. But there's pathological, a pathological lack of cynicism that is a really bad thing, you know, um, because in the world, in the kind of world we live in, you know, um, you have to be a bit cynical about things. And by cynical, I simply mean skeptical. I mean, cynicism and skepticism are, you know, almost synonyms, you know, um, Cynicism is probably just skepticism, too much skepticism, but or unreasonable skepticism. But there's like literally no skepticism amongst the amongst the media, and there and by implication, a lot of people who watch the media, you know, maybe they're just looking for feel like good fields. You know what I mean? You don't want to deny them the good fields. So when Biden comes to Ireland <clears throat> or wherever, well, particularly Ireland. Uh, it's all great and fun and it's a homecoming and people in Ireland get to feel good about it because the yeah. president of America has come and graced the yeah. little Irish shores and the little Irish people and come to pat them on the head and, you know, hunt for leprechauns or something. And then people back at home in America get to see Biden in a good light as well, you know? Yeah, of course, because Ireland... I mean, Ireland. Anything Ireland is good news in America. People, people, That's why they do it. American presidents go to Ireland for good optics. Right. Period. They've people, all done it, I think. Well, most, of them, most of them since Kennedy. Yeah, because people, Irish people love but American presidents. I mean, it's a long way from Kennedy, though. Like, it's what's, you know, many years, 70 years, LBJ whatever, 60 years. But just about all the others did. No, the only four people. Visit Ireland. Only four presidents visit Ireland. Oh yeah. Yep. Well, all the last four: Kennedy, Clinton, Obama. Maybe Bush didn't. Bush didn't. Obama. So Obama, did. Obama. Biden got the idea here from Obama because Obama went to meet his sixth cousins. Right. Obama, Clinton, and have a pint of Guinness with them. Kennedy and Reagan. With only four before him. Okay. Anyway. It's the pilgrimage because for Americans, Ireland is, I don't know. Plus, I mean, it's a long way since Kennedy. Do you but, know what I mean? Okay, I mean, but they let, can't let's be, be skeptical. Is it family business or family holiday? Yeah. Or is there even geopolitics? Or is it just, yeah. just get him out of Washington for a few days? Good optics. Show that he's got the only country in the world ah, where he could go. So it's prelude to, it's, it's part of, it's campaigning. Yeah. Get the Irish vote in for, sure. for next year. The only country in the world where he could actually go and get that kind of reception from local people. 
the ex- that extent of perception. He was blown away. He said, I'm not going home. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, of course, the vast majority of Irish people probably weren't that interested and didn't turn out. Of course, it was only, you know. Well, some serious crowds. Well, out of. Who? Hey. Look at this. Check this out. This is probably the, 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 the defining video of, of, of what we're talking about here. Son of Balanar, the 46th president of the United States, Joe Biden. <sighs> <clears throat> Dropkick Murphys. <clears throat> oh my God. He should do a little jig. He should be dressed up like a leprechaun. Go on, Joe. Give us a dance. Do us a jig. Go on, you mad thing. Oh my god. Can't remember the last time. Oh, he did a little jig there. He's I did a little, little jig. A bit of a skip, yeah. You see the way it's set up that all the people behind him are going bonkers, right? They're definitely a rent a crowd back there. See yeah. like in front of the cathedral there? Yeah. They're all in, in accordance with her. And that's for the back back shot, right? So right. that every, all of his speech is has a backdrop of people can like Furiously waving Irish and American flags, and then the the, the also rans are in the front, you know. Oh, make it stop! I see the light. Good job, It's great to be here with you all. It's great what? to be back in Balma during your 300th anniversary. Yo. All he he needs is a Chucky Arla in there. And the unionists up up, up north, of course, wanted nothing to do with him, you know. Um, Well, before he arrived, they were all like, what's he coming here for? We don't want him. He's Irish. Anyway, get him out of here because they all, you know, see themselves as British, you know, uh, in the north. And they see it. Him arriving as a kind of like a wait, wait, Joe Biden isn't Irish. I know. Well, that's the other thing. He's he's, he he tours (laughs) around. Biden is not an Irish name. Well, his great, his claim is great, great, great. He has grandparents. So, uh, him and 40 million Americans share the same number, the same connection to Ireland, but his is somehow exceptional for some reason. They had him meet relatives in a pub for a <clears> pint. <throat> the relatives were fifth cousins. Right. Everyone on earth today has on average 17,000 fifth cousins. Right. He's not Irish. <laughs> no. Well, like I said, him and 40 million other Americans who all have the same well, level of connection. They have a lot more than him. What more than no, that? a lot of them more than him, but at least 40 million of them have go back as far as, as 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 Joe Biden, you know. I mean, a lot of them are more recent than him and have more claim to, to be an Irish. So it's it's silly. It's all optics. and But that's, that's what I'm talking about in terms of cynicism here. There's no cynicism whatsoever in this. This is all like, stop being so cynical about the whole thing. It's a good time. It's it's big up in Ireland. It's it, People are having a bit of fun. It's I mean, the fact the guy might be a pedophile doesn't matter, you know. <clears throat> um might be, I said. Um, and his son, along with him, uh, Hunter Biden. Might uh, be a crack addict. Might be? No. That's, there's no might about that, obviously, because oh. there's... Might uh, might be um, a crook who does deals that gets 10% for his dad. Yeah, he's super corrupt. Like These are extremely corrupt people, obviously. Uh, certainly his son, very likely his his father, uh, or him himself, sorry. Um, here, I mean, here's with, with Hunter... Um, just doing the rounds, talking to you know, pressing the flesh, 
kissing babies and stuff like that. Here's Hunter. There's Hunter in the background there. I have to help him out now again. He asked him, what's the key to success? I didn't understand what he said. Make sure we don't have COVID. Hunter, the crackhead, had to come in and tell his dad what the kid actually said. My, my son, Hunter. Very good. Wise words. Right. From Never question the motive. That's hilarious given what, you know, it's not hilarious. It's yeah. dark. It's darkly ironic. This kid is like encouraged by the adults around him to ask this great man what the key to his success is. Mm-hmm. And he's like, arguably, I would put him near to LBJ as one of the most corrupt, certainly Democrat politicians to have existed in America's mm-hmm. history. I mean, you're being cynical. Disgustingly corrupt. Like, you're being cynical again. The keys to success. How did he get rich? Who? Joe Biden. Ah, deals. Corruption. Backhand deals. But that's where the world, you know. But he's not it's a public a... servant. Ah, but your dance is a jig there, will you? Sing us an Irish ballad or something and it'll all be good. Uh, and he made, he, he has this joke. You notice, you notice in the past he has this joke where he's done it in several different yeah, places, yeah, several yeah. occasions where he does this, where anytime anybody is up on a balcony oh, or maybe. anything high, he, he, he says, he, Looks up to the people and says, "Don't jump." He did it in Ireland as well, twice on two occasions. I don't like, want to see he it. can't even do it. He can't even just do it once. He has to do it more than once. Anywhere there's people up above, don't jump, don't jump. You don't have to play them if you don't want to. But well, the uh, other one he says over and over is, "I may be Irish, but I'm not stupid." Well, yeah, he said that once. Yeah, yeah. I think he was told afterwards that's not a good look, Joe. Don't say that in Ireland. Um, <clears throat> anyway, we don't care. Well, I do. I do care. I suppose I do care that Irish people are so um, stupid. Appear to be hopelessly gone um well but again who's it uh, how many how many irish people actually turned up tiny fraction of the population well, i think they're right you wouldn't get that kind of reception anywhere else in any anywhere in the u.s but he didn't exactly do a walk through the streets of dublin and have, have, have half 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 a million pop you know half the population no. out in the streets to see him or anything like that you know it's not that level of it's not a jfk moment you know no and the amount of scripting and stage managing around this is through yeah. the roof, you know, so you can't believe any of it in, in terms of, you know, yeah. how, what it appears, you know, how, what people in Ireland really think about him coming. I don't know. I don't think they really care that much. It's an interesting kind of aside or an interesting distraction in a certain sense. What's he even here for and whatever, but yeah. But again, I take your point. Like, I mean, mm. the fact that there are even that many people that could be cajoled into coming out and waving flags for him is, uh, but what do you expect? People don't think. People aren't politically aware and awake and they don't think you know especially post covid um post lockdowns post post jabby jab um everybody's heads wrecked basically and they don't know what to be don't know what to be at some good news yeah speaking of kennedys robert kennedy jr mm. is running as a democratic nominee to replace the bidens yeah, that wasn't supposed to be released until uh, he was going to announce it formally in uh, April nineteenth next mm-hmm. week. But someone leaked it, That's, or someone—I don't know—just leaked. He filed it, you know, there's a court or the filing somewhere, maybe with the DNC. 
RFK Jr. for president? I reckon yes, definitely. Uh, of course, he won't even become the nominee because mm. remember how this all started with rigging it against Bernie in 2016. So um, it's a shame, but still, at least it's symbolically, it's a reminder that the real Kennedys, they're not all, you know, yeah, liberal idiots mm -hmm. like much of the clan is. But um, yeah, it's an example. The of uniform uh, media was uniformly like the vaccine. Have you seen the headline? Uh, repeated just ad nauseum through a whole bunch of anti-vaccine quack. RFK Jr. announces anti-vaccine quack. Yeah. yeah, for 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 pointing out the fact that you know the vaccines, the COVID vaccines, cause uh, compared to other vaccines in, in modern history, are have an extremely high rate of adverse uh, events associated well, with them. He is known for talking about vaccines going like way back. It's not just this one. I know, yeah, yeah. but but he's he's called quack for pointing out a scientific fact yeah. that these vaccines are uh, have a much higher rate of adverse events than any other vaccine in modern history. Well, that's the media for you. Um, but yes, yeah, an example like Robert Kennedy, good guy, solid. Integrity, honesty, and there's no chance of him becoming president, whether no. run, whether he runs or not. Um, and yet Joe Biden, who most people before Obama didn't know anything about Joe Biden, he's just and he was just another politician. And yet they get out in the streets in Ireland, and I suppose anywhere else that people will get out in the streets to, to cheer on someone like that. They do that on the basis of what. Like people, people in Ireland actually who were interviewed said, "Yeah, it's just amazing, you know, that he would come here to Ireland, you know, a man like that, the man, the greatest, you know, the the the, the most powerful man in the world and stuff." And they don't realize that he was just a politician before Obama. He was just another politician, and they don't know the names of any of those other politicians. And they think somehow they must assume somehow that since he's president, he got there on merit, mm. that he's this amazing man because he got to be president. That level of ignorance about how people get to be the president or the prime minister of, of, of particularly Western countries or really most countries in the world. It's uh, frightening. The idea that it's based on merits today is bizarre. I mean, uh, a, a cursory scratch of the surface of a little bit of research into it and you realize that these people are just selected. They're, they're taken out of anonymity, relative anonymity, uh, in the sense that people in Ireland who are going, oh, Joe Biden, and they didn't know him 10 years ago. Uh, and suddenly he's the greatest man on earth, or or, or whatever. It's, it's it's a blessing for him to to even set foot on our on our on our, on our, on our soil. It's just, in but that's the level we're talking way, about. You yeah. Ask these people to think. I, I think they also. Well, I don't know if they don't. They may not think this through, but I think they may also sense that Ireland's fortunes are dependent on it. Mm. And if they do, they're correct. Yeah, because Ireland's economic fate is completely tied to the U.S. Here Absolutely, yeah. It's, um, the economic miracle is basically American hot money that flooded in as mm -hmm. part of a quid pro quo for with buying U.S. Treasuries. Yeah, buying U.S. That earlier this yeah. week, well, propping up America, like uh, as in buying buying U.S. debt. They they had they're they're in it. There's no there's no chance of Ireland doing it. Maybe we shouldn't be America's vessel moment. You know, a mm -hmm. vassal. Um, yeah, check. Uh, yeah, just just so uh, check it out. So. You can see for yourself. Um, this is uh, a list. It's, it's a strange list. Like, uh, 
of, of major foreign holders of United States Treasury securities, which is basically debt as of November 2022. And, you know, big countries, well, you know, wealthy countries, top uh, Japan has over a trillion dollars holding, trillion dollars of U.S. debt. So they're, they're heavily invested in, in, in the U.S. dollar, uh, remaining the, the reserve currency in America, um, you know, remaining the economic top dog, basically. And, China, obviously, but less than Japan. China was like 1.5 billion people. It's been reducing its 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 holding of, of U.S. debt. Now, Kingdom, okay, special relationship, of course, they'd be there. Belgium, yeah, no, yeah, something <laughs> uh, happened there. Uh, Luxembourg, Luxembourg, before. same. But Cayman Islands, you can ignore the Cayman Islands because that's all offshore well, stuff. You can ignore Luxembourg for the same reason. It's an offshore, right? It may as well be an island. Yeah, and Cayman Islands, Switzerland, and then Ireland, 250. It's up to about 300 billion now. But three hundred billion dollars of U.S. debt, and behind been, Canada, been third or fourth. Huh? Ireland on this kind of table has been third or fourth. Yeah, but they're behind Canada, twenty million people or so, massive country, major resources. Brazil, many hundred and seventy million people maybe in Brazil, something like that. Hundred twenty, hundred something. Two hundred twenty. Yeah. Taiwan, of course. India, India one point three billion people. Way down the list, and France below. So Ireland's above. What, what the hell is Ireland Saudi doing Arabia. holding all this? And Saudi, yeah, what the hell is Ireland doing holding so much U.S. debt? Well, you just explained it, right? There was a deal done back in the day. That's why you have all mo- a lot of major U.S. corporations with their headquarters, their European headquarters in Ireland, uh, banking it for the U.S. for the Irish Treasury, uh, for the Irish tax collector, and then, and then that money is reinvested back in the U.S., tying Ireland inexorably. Or, or, or inevitably, inevitably to the fortunes of um, of America, which is not a good position to be in right now, as we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, so yeah, um, what else going on? Well, why? Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand the Americans or the Irish for that matter. Meanwhile, like actual interesting like trips abroad. Macron's trip to China. Mm. Now, I don't really, I don't really make much of it because he said similar things before, um, especially on the trip home. He questioned whether it is in our interest to accelerate a crisis on Taiwan and provoke a Chinese overreaction. The worst thing that Europe could do would be to take our cue from the U.S. agenda, mm-hmm. you know, for defending Taiwan. Mm-hmm. The reaction was bonkers. Um, See Marco Rubio's response? I saw that one, yeah. I got it here. Does he speak for Europe? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't, uh, but uh, he should. <laughs> Marco's down. I don't know where he is. Is that Texas? I don't know if that's Texas or not, um, but he, is he on holiday? I don't know. So, Senator Marco Rubio, here's, here's what he thinks about uh, Macron's statements on France not being, no, not wanting to be or should not be a U.S. vassal and should not just follow the U.S. policy on China and Taiwan. The president of France, Macron, goes to China, spends about six hours meeting with Xi Jinping, and then on the flight back, he talks to a bunch of reporters. And here's what he told the reporters. He told the reporters, number one, that it's time for Europe to break away from the United States, not to depend on the dollar, not to depend so much on us, uh, to become their own third superpower. The second thing he says, which I found really interesting, was 
that Europe needs to make sure that they don't get involved in conflicts that are not their conflicts. Specifically, that Europe should not be taking sides on Taiwan between the United States and China. And so I think this is a good moment for us to ask Europe, does Macron speak for all of Europe? Is Macron now the head of Europe? Is he now the most powerful leader in Europe? Because if he is, then there's some things we're going to need to change. Uh, number one, you know, Europe, ha including France specifically, has depended heavily on the United States for 70 years for their own defense. In fact, when Macron tried to play global superpower and send troops to North Africa to fight terrorists, he couldn't even get his own troops there. We had to fly them there and we had to fly them back. He couldn't even get his own troops there. So yeah, right. they're going to break off on their own and follow <clears throat> Macron's lead. Uh, that's going to save us a lot of money. As mm. far as not getting involved in, in other conflicts that are not ours, we need to ask Europe, does he speak for them? Because we're pretty heavily involved in Ukraine right now. We're spending mm. a lot of our taxpayer money on a European war. Yeah. And I've supported that because I think it's in the national interest of the United States to <clears throat> be allies to our allies. But if our allies... What a little liar. If in fact Macron speaks... Only 20% of, of it goes to Ukraine. Now is they're not going to pick sides between the U.S. The rest goes to the Taiwan, Pentagon contractors. Maybe we shouldn't be picking sides either. Maybe we should basically say we're going to focus on Taiwan and the threats that China poses. And you That's tame compared to what others said. So we need to find out, does Macron speak for Macron or does Macron speak for Europe? And we need to get the answer to that pretty quickly because China is very excited about what he said. They enthusiastically support everything he said. And apparently he said even worse, but the French uh, presidency insisted that all the reporters even worse. That, interview, that they had to review, they had to, the, they wanted to review the transcript and they apparently took out stuff that was even more aggressive that he said. So we need to find out where Europe stands. So lies in that in, in a statement of the fundamental lie uh, that he bases his argument on is that well if Macron wants uh, isn't going to back us up or, f or follow America's lead vis-a-vis uh, -vis China and Taiwan then maybe we'll just uh, you know uh, we'll we'll decide no longer to help uh, <clears throat> to help um, France uh, and Europe if he speaks for Europe in their European war because it's a European war um, and. Uh, of, co of course, war. that's obviously a lie because the U.S. provoked the war in Ukraine with Russia specifically and pulled European countries into it um, in order to serve uh, U.S. interests. Like he said, it's, we think it's, it's in the U.S. national interest to help our allies in their war. That's not actually what's <laughs> happening. This is an American war and it's clearly, you know... Clearly provoked. If anybody knows the, the, the actual history of it, it's clearly provoked by America, uh, provoking Russia, and and then causing, you know, dumping a war on Europe's doorsteps, um, and then claiming uh, claiming it's oh that's that's your problem and we're here just to help. Yeah. <clears throat> Does he speak for Europe? The, oh, I'd like to see. <clears throat> yeah, I'd like to see him speaking for Europe. Actually, if he's the best we've got, then yes, Macron needs to raise a grand army. Yeah, and uh, form an alliance yeah. that will blockade the American warships, a la Napoleon. Um, yeah, no, it's not going to happen because yeah, Macron is. It's it, now and then he says he's an astute observer, and he can get the analysis objectively correct. But he can't do much about it. He doesn't have the moral courage. Well, the outcome, the outcome of of what Macron wants is talking about. If he was to if he was to follow through on it and get other European leaders to agree uh, to, to that approach, would be that the Ukraine war would end because European support for it and connivance in it at the US's kind of behest uh, would end. They would reestablish friendly ties with Russia, and then the whole thing would 
would be done. But America would crap its pants over that, obviously, and, do, and is preventing that from happening, actively preventing that from happening. First of all, by creating the war in the first place, and then by kind of tying European countries, you know, in, in different, in, in various different ways, uh, compelling them to continue to uh, engage in the Ukraine war, continue to send weapons to Ukraine so the war keeps going, i.e. the proxy war against Russia. Um, they could end it. Europe, European countries could, in theory, all agree that this is a bad idea for Europe, that, you know, we should have friendly relations with Russia. There's no point for people to continue to die in Ukraine. Let's end it and let's just tell America to go F themselves. Uh, but so that, that's, that's the logical, that, that's where Macron, Macron's statement would, would go to if he put anything behind it, if he actually followed through on it or if he was able to follow through on it. Um, and that's the last thing America, the Americans want to happen. So if there's one country in Europe that's, has the, not necessarily Macron, but has overall political leadership and the will to go there, it would, it would come from France. Germany, yeah. Germany is cooked, totally mm-hmm. cooked, but France could. Remember, we, we've seen over the, the last year, the, the French intelligence infomercial that was put out, you know, about the extent of U.S. economic interest in having a war, this proxy war with Russia, because it was causing basically massive protectionism. You know, the, um, what do they call the bill in the U.S.? The something. Um, the, the Inflation Reduction Act. Inflation Reduction Act. Yes. It sounds like, oh, that's all it is. It's just internal domestic affair. It is an internal domestic affair, but it's massive protectionism. That's what it comes down to. And Europe's the loser in this. The other thing Rubio said was like, we've given so much to Ukraine. Their own reports show that 20% of it has gone to Ukraine. That's enough to keep Ukraine afloat, apparently, just about as a zombie state, but whatever. Country 404. Paying, paying, paying salaries. Yeah. The other 80%. It's the U.S. Because the companies yeah. in the U.S. It's protectionism. Well, it's propping up the U.S. economy. His comments were tame. Uh, Senator Todd Young, a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, the Chinese Communist Party is the most significant challenge to Western society, our economic security, and our way of life. Who is he speaking for there? France must be clear-eyed about this threat. Ours. Is that yours too? Are you speaking on behalf? Are you senator for Indiana? Are you speaking on behalf of the oh, French people? French, France, all of France there. Uh, Mike Gallagher, Republican for Wisconsin, chair of the House Select Committee on China, uh, told Fox News Macron's statements were embarrassing. They mm. were disgraceful mm-hmm. and very geopolitically naive. Mm. Michael McCall, you're no good on your own, France. Yeah. Michael McCall, uh, Republican for Texas, chair of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. The French president's views are disheartening because the Chinese Communist Party's threat to Taiwan is a growing danger to the global balance of power. Mm. The global balance of power. Your balance of power. There's more. Uh, Chris Smith, Republican New Jersey. If France is truly committed to abandoning democratic nations in favor of a brutal communist regime, the United States must reassess its posture towards France. Macron's statements are a betrayal of democratic Taiwan. Et tu, Macron. Uh, well, here's Marco Rubio again. And just before we, on, on that topic, on, on associated topic, basically, of a lot of different countries uh, trading, deciding to trade in their own uh, currencies or in, you know, non-US dollar currencies. This is, he's talking about Brazil, China, agreeing recently to... Uh, 
to, to trade in their own currencies. And just before we just put it up there before we uh, um, before, before we listen to him, I just want to remark on the size of his ears. Dumbo, aren't they very big? They're very big. It's just be like relative to the size of his head. They're like freaking maybe. Ear enlargement. Radar dishes, a, huh? Maybe ear and ear enlargement is a, an aesthetic thing in the US. I don't know. I doubt it. He's, he's I they, don't know. They, they find it beautiful. Uh, anyway, let's hear what he says. It's kind of funny. Look, I think the bottom line is uh, we're in a conflict. And I think we have to start mm. talking about it that way. You know, we, All a right. lot of time, most of the people are up here now. I don't remember. You know, I was very young, obviously, at the end of the Cold War, but it's been about 30 years since there was another superpower on the earth. Uh, that was in conflict with the United States. And we are back in that place. And we need to stop pretending like that's not the case. Now, I hope it's never an armed conflict, but it's a conflict at every level you can imagine. Brazil, in our hemisphere, largest country in the Western Hemisphere south of us, cut a trade deal with China. They're going to, from now on, do trade in their own currencies, get right around the dollar. They're creating cool. a, a secondary economy in the oh world, totally independent of the United States. We won't have to talk about sanctions in five years because there'll be so many countries transacting in currencies other than the dollar that, that we won't have the ability to sanction them. <laughs> well, Lamenting the fact that we won't be able to beat countries around the head with a sanction stick because they're just deciding to do their own thing. I mean, that's unthinkable. It's totally un-American. <laughs> Little Marco Rubio. Uh, I mentioned the Germans <clears throat> being cooked. The German, I, the, there were different, in fairness, there were different statements about it from the Germans. Of course, von der Leyen, her first, first, first loyalty, I presume, is still to Germany as the ex-German defense minister went with him. Um, I don't even know what she said. I was th- interesting that the Chinese just basically didn't treat her. It, they treated it as a French state, head of state visit, and mm. she was not in the tea garden. No, with Daddy G. Uh, apparently, she was also sent home through normal passenger terminal on economy flight. Yeah, economy. <clears throat> but the German, the current German defense minister, who's in Mali visiting German troops, that's a that's just a related issue. Uh, he said Macron's comments were unfortunate. Unfortunate. Yeah, it's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Don't but like again, it. there's mixed statements in Europe because von der Leyen's other EU chief. Uh, head of the European Council, ex-Belgian Prime Minister Jean-Michel, uh, he pointed out that, you know, actually a lot of EU leaders, that is the head of countries in the EU, agree with Macron. Yeah, but they're not, don't really like to speak up about it. They're, like, they're, they're kind of glad he said something yeah, first. Don't, but, don't, but there's, yeah, Macron, go. Yeah, yeah, you tell him, Macron. The thing about Macron, I wouldn't just toss the comments aside as yeah well he's not serious about it because he's been serious enough this is not the first time he said these kinds of things mm-hmm. of course he's tried to keep an open line of communication Mac- with moscow throughout the last year um macron sees himself as a bit of a visionary you know he's dis- like he's just nato long before now yeah yeah but in you know quietly but he sees himself as a bit of a, as a, of a visionary you know and, and being ahead of the curve you know and um this is something we'll talk about in relation to other countries as he's, well. But he's the he's, most d- intelligent, dumb Western politician. Yeah. Can we say that? Yeah. <clears throat> but he's, he likes to, likes to, you know, try and stay ahead of the curve type thing. And he sees like many other countries, leaders on, you know, political class in, in other countries are well aware of this emerging uh, multipolar world, a new multipolar world with, where America is no longer top dog who can dictate terms to everybody. And, a lot of them are still afraid because it's just only beginning 
You don't want to st- speak out <clears throat> too loudly or step out of line too quickly before you have some assurances that you know, you've got backup and that you're not going to, you're not going to incur the wrath of America for, for speaking out. Um, but the fact that Macron said it is, is like you're saying, is indicative of, of a, of a feeling, not just in a, a spreading of that feeling, not, um, in, not only in Western Europe, but even more, you know, more clearly and more concretely in other parts of the world, particularly in the Middle East, uh, and in Africa. Um, that, you know, the world is changing in a big way. Fundamental changes, like as in when, when Xi and Putin met there a few weeks ago, and uh, Xi mentioned that there, there, there were changes afoot that had not been seen in a hundred years <clears throat> in terms of the world order. So that's all happening, and it's not just talk, you know, and everybody is starting to realize that this is a real thing. This is actually happening, and we have to begin to reorient ourselves, uh, in, in preparation for this new, uh, world order, basically, or we'll be left with no a chair when the term. music stops, or yeah. when the music changes, or whatever. Yeah. Exactly, you know, and that phrase, "new world order," that's you know, people were afraid of that phrase. I know you were afraid of that phrase uh, for a long time, Neil. Oh, any, anytime, uh, any anybody would mention the new world order, you would run and hide under the table, like because no, <clears> no, I take to the streets and want to burn it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but but what we're afraid. seeing at Ruha was afraid. That's the that's astute, of right. Joe, to, to notice that. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that. But I, had, I, had, I even had a T-shirt, NWO with a red, you know, yeah. stop sign. Ban the New World Ban Order. Yep. New world yep. order. But now we're seeing what the actual... Black new, helicopters. Yeah, but now we're seeing what the New World Order actually is. It's, it's awesome. It's not a bad thing. And now I'm waiting for the Chinese Communist flag. You can, you, can be part, you can be part of the New World Order. And you, you, you could get a position at, 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 at the top of the New World Order if you tried hard enough. Um, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm climbing. I'm going to get there. Here's an, another... Uh, um, comment, interesting comment. It's it's amazing to see how these people, and particularly the American politicians, talk. And when they talk and give their rationale as to why they're doing what they're doing, it just is like, dude, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why are you doing oh, this? Oh, that's McCall. That's the guy I quoted. Yeah. yeah, just have a listen to his reason for why Americans should be should be more or less be willing, like Marco Rubio, be willing to go to war in some form or other with 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 China over Taiwan. Um, make the basic case for why Americans. Uh, not only should care about what happens in Taiwan, but should be willing to spill American blood and treasure to defend Taiwan. Nobody wants that. I I think the deterrence is key here. Uh, We travel to Japan, South Korea. We are in Guam. We are meeting with our allies, our partners here, if you will. They don't have a NATO in the Pacific, but they do have partners. We want to make sure that they are, are ready and supportive of the United States and Taiwan. Uh, the case for Taiwan, that's a very good question. Uh, about 50% of international trade goes through the international straits. But I think more importantly, uh, you know, Chuck, is that the TSMC uh, manufactures 90% of the advanced uh, global supply of advanced right. semiconductor chips. If, if China invades and either owns or breaks this, uh, we're in a world of hurt. Um, you know, globally. It, Congressman, it almost sounds like the case that would be made in the 60s, 70s, and 80s of why America was spending so much money and military mm. resources in the Middle East. Oil was so important for the economy. Right. Is, is this sort of the 21st century version of that? You know, I, I personally, um, I think it's about democracy and freedom. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't say it's about... Like raw materials, Stuff. resources, semiconductors, oil, that kind of thing. It's more about the freedom and democracy, you know. Uh, 
that was what the war on terror was about. It was about freedom and democracy, like we, and, and you know, the oil too. Yeah, freedom uh, oil. So basically, what he's saying is like as Hitler Johnson actually mentions there in, in, in the text about that is that he's his, his argument is this is terrible. We need to like really double down on, on our support for Taiwan and pushing back against China, and you know, up to possibly including a kind of actual hot war with China, because if they take Taiwan. We won't have free access to semiconductors made by, made in Taiwan, and we'll ha- basically have to buy them from China, which is a horrible, terrible thing. You know, I mean, I mean, the idea that I would actually have to buy uh, at, at the going rate, or you know, that that anybody that, that a seller of things that I actually, we the Americans actually need, would be able to well, they, kind of like set a price for us, or would be able to in some way well, kind of like deter- dictate terms of that agreement. It's just a horrible thing because we're the ones who dictate terms on all those agreements it's, and have done for years. Yeah, terms, and they turn it around, it's just like unthinkable, you know? China wouldn't up the price. No. Uh, but but it's, it's about IP, control of, of well, because, what, what will the Chinese do with Well, them? you see, that's what America's done for, for most, of the, most of the last 100 years, right? It's that America has controlled a lot of these raw, raw materials and uh, essential resources and raw materials around the world. And it has been able to set the terms and set the price. And use those as leverage uh, uh, to threaten or manipulate other countries. So if anybody else gets in that position that, that America, we America have been in for a hundred years, they'll do exactly the same thing, right? Yeah. 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 Of course. Production. Because I mean, they yeah. presume it. Yeah. Scotty's been all over this semiconductor business mm. in Taiwan for years. I have. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you telling me this last year. What I just heard from him, you were like, they're nervous about. Taiwan's domination of manufacturing of chips. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's, and that, that is the key monetary slash resource reason oh, yeah. for Taiwan now. Yeah. That's a, that's a open secret. Open secret. Well, you learned something new. <laughs> did you not know that? <laughs> I did. I did. I did. Well, I thought it was for the democracy. Oh, you're, you're believing the hype. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. It's, no, I thought it was broader than that. I didn't think you could bring it down to one resource because what he said about the international waterways was his he didn't want to say the quiet part out loud the malacca straits 90 percent of everything everything that goes anywhere in the world whether it's the raw product or the finished goes to the malacca straits yeah well that's been a thing and they don't want china to control it in quotes well they've been because war- they control it in quotes that's been, why they have so many fucking bases around it they've been war game scenarios there <clears throat> and the blockading the malacca straits or them blockading them or them being blockaded for for like probably 20 years now uh the u.s have been running war games in that specific scenario so yeah it's, it's a long that, that's a long-running kind of problem you know but that's again it's projection america sees that anybody Coming from a position of, of, of global hegemon for most of the last hundred years, let's say, they see that anybody taking that position from them would turn around and, and you know, seek revenge and, and, and act in exactly the same way they have ruled the world hmm. uh, for a period of time. They, then anybody who gets in that position would do the same thing and they would be in a very bad position. And they, they can't conceive of the idea of a multipolar world, uh, uh, like as spoken about by by Putin and, yeah. you know, supported by... Because they're racist. <clears throat> yeah, they can't imagine it because... Well, did they I just say, can't imagine did it. Did I say the R word? Shit. But that's that's woke. It's cool to say that, no? Yeah. They're racist. I said it. I have a conspiracy theory for you. Um, De Gaulle said all of this in 
bitched about the dollar <clears throat> dominance of global trade. Mm-hmm. And, but in his case, in fairness, he did actually pull France out of NATO in 1966, I think. Two years later, there's a big kind of revolution thing about women's rights and sexual liberation in France, and basically it is to de Gaulle resigning. He's used it. Oh, he survived several assassination attempts too, by the way. Um, are the protests in France at the moment? Are there? Yeah. Exter- no, are they externally? No. No, I don't think so. Because the French unions were, well, the biggest one, the CGT, was formed by the CIA in 1944. Well. That's too far, a connection. Ah, jeez. Well, it was a good. It sounded good well, in my I mean, head. It, it would be hard. I mean, it's an interesting theory, but it would be hard to to actually find evidence for it because the French have such a long history of protesting at over things like this, with you know the the pension reform uh, and any other uh, long list of grievances they have against the the government and long list of standing grievances they have against any government. Basically, they protest all the time. So to say to pick any one set of protests out and say that they were, yeah, instigated by external forces would be difficult. Right. But then I'd have to counter justify the yellow vests as organic. Well, that is kind of easy to say because there were no, the unions mm. jumped on that train like mm. after it had left the station mm-hmm. and everyone in France knows that. Mm-hmm. The moment Macron left Beijing, uh, the Chinese launched major war games around Taiwan again, I think the second time this year. And explicit, they didn't give any bullshit about, you know, defending democracy. They explicitly said it's, quote, as a warning to Taipei and external forces. Um, thought that was interesting. Then Germany's foreign minister Baerbach followed him to German, to Beijing separately. Um, I heard a bit of her speech. It was awful. Basically lecturing them about Uyghurs and Muslims and, um, yeah, being yeah. good, how to be good Democrats. Uh, vassals like Baerbock. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But th- this is an interesting ripple that has been sent out by this. You know, that could be it for now, but mm-hmm. the key is, the key is Europe. What's going to happen with um, the end of the Ukraine war is coming one way or the other. What happens then? With respect to does deindustrialization from Europe to America continue under that momentum, or is the momentum dying with the end of the Ukraine war? And will there need to be something else to maintain that new dynamic that Washington's Inflation Reduction Act has has started? You know, mm-hmm. um, I, there there are so many. <clears throat> I think there's there's probably intrigue going on all over the place. It's a different topic, but the 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 leaks the leaks have happened since our last show. There were two sets of these Pentagon leaks. Um, everyone knows the story by now. The leaker has been found. Uh, on the one hand, they were about Ukraine war, and there were kind of assessments of what Pentagon and U.S. government insiders are actually saying to each other about the situation there, which was interesting because it basically maps to reality. The Ukrainians are being Ukrainian soldiers are being slaughtered far more than the Russians. They have no weapons. They are running out of munitions. They have no weapons. They uh, there are at the time in one of the documents shown they are known to be according to the Pentagon a hundred active duty, not deserting mercenaries. Active duty 
NATO soldiers, special forces mm -hmm. operating in Ukraine, stuff like that. So nothing that would have surprised us, but still their reaction to them was like, who did it? You know, mm -hmm. um, I think they were, people have asked, well, were these fake? You know, was it limited hangout? Was this meant to be shown or something? No, it looks, you think it's legit? The documents, yeah. They're legit. I mean, one way or the other, I mean, it's, but, um, I mean, a few key, key kind of highlights apart from what you mentioned about the bad state of the, this is bad state of the Ukrainian military and, and the availability of weapons for, for, for Ukraine in, in the conflict. Um, you, the U.S. government, State Department, whatever, uh, CIA spying on the UN Secretary General. Yes. Um, and which, you know, that's, I mean, that's how I think I've heard that before. Well, America spies on everybody, so that's nothing new, right? So the, it's South not exactly, Korea, the South Korean government. Yeah, as well. Um, but I'm pretty sure all of America's allies, so-called allies, know that they're being spied on all the time, which is part of the leverage America has over them, right? And uses over them. It's, it's an implied threat that we know what you're doing. We're spying on you all the time. So that's nothing new. Uh, well, yeah, sorry. The, not, it wasn't that the document said, ha, 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 we're spying on. Specifically, it, the way it was deduced that they are doing so is that one of these, but these are photographs of documents, but the passage specifically had details about internal South Korean, maybe cabinet meetings mm -hmm. and discussions With about war to send weapons to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So the, that, that was South Korea, yeah. South Korea. It's interesting though, that the leaker has been caught, right? Um, the US government's, Acknowledge they're authentic and that this should not have happened and we're furiously going to find him, all that stuff. So they treat it as real. South Korea and other, and the other allies concerned, Israel as well, of course, we talked about that in a second, all said that these are, told their own domestic audience that these are fake. They're not fake. They're not fake. But that's how cooked, that, that's how you can have someone who's definitely your guy on the inside over there do your bidding for you by going, no, none of that's true. Yeah. Well, they all wanted to play it down, basically. I mean, certainly not all of them, but a lot of the different parties wanted to play it down that, that were kind of ex exposed in one way or another by those leaks, you know, they wanted to pretend. And of course, the Western media was, were especially the American media were beside themselves in, in, in their anger at these leaks and, and in their attempts to suppress them i mean they acted they were berating i'll actually put this we can listen to that one that one now uh, it's amazing amazing to actually listen to this is the 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 totality of the american media basically talking uh, at a dod uh, press conference about these leaks and you have various different members of the media um berating this guy about what he's going to do to make sure this never happens again not talking about the leaks not asking about any details of it it's what are you going to do to make sure this never happens? Okay, in the days after the leaks came to light, what steps has DOD taken to reduce the number of people who have access to not only these classified briefings, but the classified material in general? But you are taking steps to tighten that, I guess, population who might have access to this level of information. General Ryder, you say that there are strict protocols in place, and yet a 21-year-old airman was able to access some of the nation's top secrets. How did this happen, and isn't this a massive security breach? What is your message to anyone who might be thinking of leaking these kind of documents in the future? Oh, God. Can you tell us, where are there less people 
who have access to this type of information today than there were a week ago. Yeah. To follow on that, these documents were available long before April 5th and 6th. So what took so long for <laughs> DOD and the intelligence communities to, to locate these documents? Are you going to release this airman's service record? What technologies is the Pentagon applying right now to both spot leaked documents online and track potential indicators of leaking type practices? Do you plan to be investing in more? Given the gravity of the situation, are you actively paring down the distribution list now? Is this a a process that's moving quickly? Or is it going to to take time for there to be meaningful substantive changes to the distribution? And then is DOD or has DOD taken additional measures to restrict the access to classified information of others in the Massachusetts Air National Guard. Uh, sort of as a follow-on to Carla and Brandy's questions, um, can you say whether DOD has anyone looking at uh, chat rooms on Discord, for example, or other <laughs> social media platforms right now for leaked information? And um, if not, should should DOD have these people? <laughs> so notice should notice they? that basically that's the kind of all all those questions by reporters uh, are the kind of questions that will be asked. If, say, for example, this guy was responsible in some way or identified as the person who was responsible for these documents getting out, this guy at the DOD, his superiors will be saying all of those things to him. To him. And yet it's the media doing it. Mm-hmm. The media, in that example, the media is absolutely 100% a part of the U.S. government. It's, it's, it's yeah. the, it's the, it's the, the censor and the, the, the overseer, let's say, of, of, of for, for the U.S. government for any information that might leak out to the population, and this, these are supposedly members of the population in the media who are control, who are demanding that the government control the information that that members of the public can get access to. What does that make them? I mean, it's ridiculous. Greek chorus. Um, but it's yeah, mockingbird. I mean, they're just yeah. One um, other bit. <laughs> From from those documents, one other um, piece of information was, as reported uh, here by Haretz. Um, did you get that, Scott? Yeah. Um, leaked U.S. documents alleged Mossad encouraged Israel anti-Netanyahu protests. Uh, Israel spy agency encouraged protests against the Netanyahu government judicial overhaul. Mossad's response was that it's false and unfounded, of course, um, which is interesting because... Um, as we as we talked about in a previous show, uh, those protests that were going on in Israel that were anti, effectively anti Netanyahu. We showed a picture of the the protesters at, the, and I think it was a legit poster. They had a picture of Putin, Netanyahu, and Trump all together, and the word dictators or something, or the world won't accept dictators or something like that. So this was clearly a kind of like a a hit job that these protests were definitely from. We and and this the the group in Israel organizing it had only one for uh, only one uh, source of funding, and it was the uh, State Department, basically, I think, was the NDA National Endowment, NED National Endowment for Democracy. Uh, so it was the U.S. government was a funder of the only obvious group that was organizing these protests, and now there's an allegation that Mossad was behind it, um, which is interesting because, you know, um, of course, we're not so naive to think that the U.S. hasn't put pressure on or hasn't manipulated the Israelis or, um, you know, turned the screws on at, at different points. Uh, over, now. Over, over over the course of like the past 30 or 40 years but it's interesting those protests um, along with something that just uh, 
jumped out at me um, today. Was it today or yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Um, this one, U.S. lawmakers probe urge a probe into military aid to Israel. This one really, like, I was like, hang on a minute. Um, what's going on here? This is like U.S. military aid, $3 billion reportedly every year going back decades. Unquestioned since LBJ. Never questioned is suddenly a group of top, 14 top Democratic members of the U.S. Congress have penned an open letter to, to Biden urging him to re-examine Washington's enduring support of Israel. This is like, this is, these are tectonic shifts, tectonic movements in um, the traditional unipolar global order hmm. as it has been for the past, like I said, since the Second World War. Um, and they can only be understood or have to be understood in the context of China and Russia's, along with others, hmm. but their push for multipolarity hmm. and the sidelining of America as a global hegemon, which we just saw with, from Marco Rubio's crapping himself and a bunch of other hmm. US lawmakers are all crapping themselves and extremely worried about um, th th this kind of this movement towards a multipolar world, which will, like I said, unseat America. Um, so the problem in that context of a multipolar world where, where each, uh, every country has to suddenly reassess which way they're going to look, reassess who they're going to do, who they're going to be allied with. And a lot of them at this point are engaging in that favorite term of America's actually, which is strategic ambiguity. You, at this point, a lot of them are playing trying to play both, you know, they're trying to not upset America. They have to ease, if they're going to ease themselves into a, a multipolar world, world and stay ahead of the head of the curve and not, not be left like you were saying uh, in the game of musical chairs without a seat, they need to do it carefully. They need to be realistic about it and start realigning towards multipolarity, but they also need to make sure they don't piss off America too much, which remains... Because the hegemon with yeah. a lot of clout. The 10 countries that piss them off too much are going to get it right. in the next few years. <laughs> so strategic ambiguity where they're all saying two things. Yes, no, we, we support uh, an end to the conflict in Ukraine, but we also want to you know, support America's this, that. You know what I mean? It's basically it's, we support everybody, which is you know, multipolarity, right? We, we do business with and we, we support things that are in our national interest, and that includes now um, the freedom to uh, to strike deals and do business with uh, and, and do business in ways with many other countries that we couldn't do in the past because America was looking, breathing down our necks, basically. Um, and this includes Israel, which is interesting because as far as I was concerned for all of my political awakened life, the Israel-US relationship was ironclad. And everybody, well, anybody who knows anything knows that that was the case. It was like, I mean, America gives them three, three billion dollars a year. Anybody sworn into Congress has to, at some point, uh, before they before they become a, a, a member of Congress or a, a political uh, leader, let's say of, of any note in in America, have to go to APAC or some other similar organization that is and, and kiss Israel's ass. Uh, it's you know it's a standard standard procedure and has been for many 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 years. And every every is probably with with basically no exceptions. Maybe one or two exceptions out of the hundreds of, of U.S. Congress uh, Congress members, members of Congress, and, and the Senate, uh, all of them would never say a bad word about Israel. 
they're our steadfast, enduring ally, and we will never disagree with Israel. And suddenly you have evidence that the U.S. State Department and Mossad, internal Israeli intelligence, is organizing protests to try and unseat uh, an Israeli government. Um, Go on, Joe, say his name. Who? Netanyahu. Netanyahu. And, uh, We're defending Netanyahu. Not defending That's how not defending him. But tectonic shift, Joe. It's bizarre. Um, no, but he's just as Trump. Well, the thing is, Israel Israel <gasps> is fought, Israel has its national interest like every other country in this new multipolar world. Israel has to look to its own national interest. And that includes, and has been for quite a while, where, because you know, people have talked, we've talked about it before, where Israel's relationship with Russia over Syria, Iran, Israel has increasingly over the past five, six years become uh, a, a, a more, more of a major broker in the Middle East. And what actually the power dynamics in the Middle East and those conflicts, you know, obviously the, the situation with Iran and the, the, the conflict in Syria. Um, so Israel has to balance its relationship with America with its relationship with Russia was because Russia has clout and Russia can make a difference and Russia can, you know, specifically in terms of supplying weapons to Syria, for example, it's, uh, Russia. Or it's ongoing exchange with Iran. Exactly. I mean, uh, I, mean I think there, there's drones <coughs> going one way and the other. Yeah, there's a deal that, um, Russia would not supply S-300s to Syria so that Israel could conduct, easily conduct... Quote-unquote surgical strikes. Surgical strikes, air raids in Syria against, against quote-unquote Iranian, yeah. Iranian assets, Iranian influence in, in, in Syria. So that's a deal that they've made and Israel wants to keep that, uh, the ability to do that and it doesn't want to piss off Russia so it has to be friendly with Russia. But if it's friendly with Russia, it's going to run into problems with America. And America, seeing that, then is going to start putting pressure on Israel to try and get it to, to fall back in line. Um, but the tide is turning. America can't plug all those gaps. More like, I mean, the dam will at some point burst, but there's leaks all over the place. You know, you're seeing them all the time. There are leaks all over the place. Uh, and, and this is the most significant one to date. France could be, you know, yeah. France slash Europe could be if, if there's any follow up. But this one is bigger. I know you've you've given um, an explanation of, so I'm going backwards here. Can, can we look at it in more detail? What this specific mention of the Mossad and the uh, Israeli protest showed. This is they did cover this in the U.S. They didn't. Israeli press denied it, of course. But the the premise of the conspiracy is this is directed against the Netanyahu government, so not the Israeli establishment as a whole, right? So the press in Israel is like, ah, oh, rubbish. But even someone inside, supposedly inside a Netanyahu press office said, no, it's rubbish. But then who's who Who are they speaking for? Exactly. The State Department in the U.S. or mm-hmm. for Netanyahu? Okay. So this is CNN um, with some details on what this leaked Pentagon document supposedly said. If you do a search for, just search for Israel, I suppose it starts towards the end. Um, next (coughs) there we go an intelligence report about Israel meanwhile has sparked outrage in Jerusalem the report produced by the CIA and sourced to signals intelligence says that Israel's main intelligence agency the Mossad had been encouraging protests against the country's new, new government quote including several explicit calls to action this isn't just like Oh, the Mossad is supporting it. No, they're specifically involved in it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then, of course, there's a statement that the one I just mentioned, the, the prime minister's office said, no, no, it's rubbish. Um, go down a bit further. There's another classified document. There we go. Another classified document also sourced to U.S. signals intelligence offers a window into how the U.S. assesses its allies' policies and how the U.S. can exert its influence to change them. The document titled Israel, Pathways to Providing Lethal Aid to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about Ukraine, not Israel. Right. Says that Jerusalem, quote, likely will consider providing lethal aid under increased U.S. pressure or a per- perceived degradation in its relationship with Russia. Right. That says so much about it. This, this is something that got to print, but these kinds of things either rarely get to print or we get to rarely see them. That is how they think in Washington. Right. To, to their closest, quote, as you said, ironclad ally. Right. How can we exert pressure on them to join this proxy war of ours in Ukraine? Because right. like you pointed out, Israel has held out for a year. Not not providing the but for, that's an for, agreement. Most, for reasons but, of its own self interest. Right. If we Russia. do that, Iran is going to get a boost from Russia. Or Syria is going or to get S three hundred. Yeah, they have to. I mean, that, that's you know, uh, that's balancing out uh, you know your national interests and looking looking to your national interests and deciding you know how you're going to best serve those. And in in a in a world dominated by you know by the US. With the U.S. As, as hegemon and its closest allies, its closest allies have to do what the Amer- America wants it to do. And if they stop doing that, then they're going to come into a, come under some serious pressure. But what's interesting is that the, the Mossad, being part of those anti, you know, being hand in glove with the U.S. State Department by put, uh, organizing those protests to put pressure on um, on Netanyahu, uh, not over his judicial reforms or whatever, but this was a way to put pressure on him over him aligning partly with Russia. And not fully aligning with America over Ukraine and, and in other ways that, I mean, basically Israel doing any, you know, mutually beneficial deals with Russia is bad as far as the U.S. State Department is concerned. Mm. This is our like number one ally in the Middle East and they're like looking to Russia. They're betraying us, you know. So um, what's interesting though is the Mossad being involved in that because the Mossad is understood as being, uh, if, if you think of Israeli national interests, well, the first group you'd think of would be Mossad, right? Right. So why are they not siding with the Netanyahu government, who is clearly attempting to work in Israel's national interests, mm-hmm. independent of America? Because, you know, any country has national interests in the part of the world that where they're where they're located, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, has to do with relationships with its neighbors and other powers in, in the world. Any country has those national interests, and they have to look to those. You can't just always do what your partner from five thousand miles away wants you to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They could do that during the American century, because. Israel's national interests in the region and America's foreign policy interests were one and the same. They dovetailed perfectly. But now in a multipolar world, in an emerging multipolar world, that's not the case anymore. So the question here is, Mossad, what are they doing siding on on, on a question of Israel's national interests with America? They're siding with American national interests for Israel in the Middle East, I American national interests in the Middle East, using Israel. Why the Mossad siding with the U.S. State Department? That suggests that the Mossad effectively is globalist, an American exceptionalist yeah, organization yeah, totally. that they're effectively based in Washington D.C. D.C. far more deep state, far more than uh, than than in, in Tel Aviv. Since James Jesus angled in the 1960s, you can't put a paper between the Mossad and when it came to big issues between the Mossad and the CIA, mm-hmm. 
And that's, yeah. that's only strength in, in, in the intervening decades. But again, that was, but, that but, was the case because their, 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 their interests, they had, they had mutually beneficial, their interests were, were, were the same. You know what I mean? You couldn't put a paper between them during the 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, 80s, because what they both wanted was the same thing. Now, it's not the case. So it's time for those interests in Israel that have this longstanding, mm. uh, you know, friendship with, with the American deep state. It's time for them to decide where their allegiances really lie. Mm. And they appear to be deciding that their allegiances lie in Washington, D.C., not yeah. Tel Aviv. The, yeah. As a, but not, yeah, not the overt elected last December Israeli no, government. No, Mossad. I'm talking about Mossad, Mossad here. Mossad. Which is super interesting because th- this, like, the whole JQ, you know, about who's leading who here. It sometimes seems like everything. By is, JQ, you mean Jewish question? Yes, everything is centered around. But well, what's good for Israel will be good for America. Is is the tail wagging the dog or not? Exactly. We're going to start seeing not the dog. Well, the dog's a big angry beast, and he's going to he's right. going to wag the rest of the tail. Yeah. Well, or the, else, the, I mean the. The conspiracy theory all these years was that, you know, the, the Zionists in Israel, the, the Jewish lobby in America, you know, one and the same. And they were basically controlling, like they were wagging the dog, right? They were controlling. They had, they had um, subverted American democracy, um, th- you know, the Jewish lobby, basically. And, and the things we mentioned previously about how all Congress had to, f- had, to had to pay allegiance to, mm. to Israel and stuff. People saw that for decades, saw that and, and complained about the fact that this was Israel subverting. And Israel was now in control of America. And, and they went into, quote unquote, the Jews and the Zionists and that this was globalist conspiracy, the Jews, quote unquote, behind it, all that kind of stuff. Um, but now we're seeing a crack emerge. Yeah, but I don't think, I think, you could say that that was never the case, you know, in a certain sense that, uh, that it's not quote unquote the Jews. It's, it's some group within America. That's where, that's where the buck stops. That's where the core of the control system, if such a thing exists in this world exists, uh, in, in Washington DC. It's not, I, th- I'm, I'm happy at this point, uh, to dispense with the idea that there's any kind of quote unquote Jewish globalist conspiracy to take over the world not that I ever really believed that but people who paid lip service to that uh, I would have maybe listened to them whatever and thought about it but, but there now, were interesting details along the way that did make it make everyone go wow right that looks really basically my point is that the powers that be are not now neither Jewish nor Israeli nor Zionist in origin or in, in, in ideology in in ethics or in outlook and perception, whatever, that's not their thing. So we can dispense with the idea that there's some Israeli based of whatever, of whatever stripe, yeah. whatever Zionist stripe, whatever Jewish Zionist stripe, you can dispense the idea that, that there's some global conspiracy to dominate the world that already originates there. It doesn't. It originates in Washington, D.C. and it's... They're American. It's white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. America. We yeah. found it. We've, we've <clears throat> solved it. We cracked it. We can go home now, everyone. Busted. Yeah. Conspiracy busted wide open. There you go. Done. Solved. Done. You know, one of the themes this week, uh, the Israeli protests are continuing, you know, and they're still pretty, pretty huge. Um, ninth week running, something like that. This is, this has got some steam in it. So on this weekend's protest, right? I see an Al Jazeera report about it. You think the headline would be, I don't know, bigging it up because here we get to have, uh, a swing back 
at the uh, the Zionist entity, right? No, Al Jazeera's report on yesterday's demo in Tel Aviv describes thousands of demonstrators gathered. Thousands. Okay. Then I saw this Times of Israel headline. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> You're supposed to be downplaying it. And Al Jazeera is supposed to be... No, the roles were reversed. Times of Israel. Hundreds of thousands of people gather to decry Benjamin. Hundreds of thousands rally against judicial overhaul plans for a 15th straight week. And actually, in the article... Did you see that first picture? Israel, <coughs> Israel will remain free. It was a big poster yeah. uh, carried by the crowd. That's exactly the opposite. Though. Look, anyway. in the middle there's a Ukrainian flag, blue and yellow. No, no, that's a rainbow flag then. <laughs> Um, That's an LGBT flag. Inside the article, they actually try to big it up still further by saying that um, the organizers claim 400,000 mm-hmm. protesters <coughs> gathered across Israel yesterday. It was just populations like, what, 5 million, 6 million? Mm-hmm. Um, it's bizarre. Normally, you would expect the, the national media, whenever there's stuff going down like this, they don't report whatever the organizers say or, or they poo-poo it while they big up whatever the police say, whatever the official count is. What's taking place in Israel is the reverse dynamic. Uh, that's another telltale. A theme in the protests actually in the last week has been, um, we saw the, the poster theme before, you know, they would have BB next to Trump and Corbyn uh, and, 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 and Putin and all, you know, handcuffs and orange jumpsuits. The theme this week is Bibius Caesar. <laughs> Right. Julius Caesar. Right, because he was an evil dictator. An evil dictator, right. Um, who else the, Who else did they, did they describe? Some American the, described... The uh, Telegraph described Putin as Putin Caesar. Putin as Caesar as well. Um, if only that Vladimir knew. Putin is soon going to face his Julius Caesar moment right. in the Kremlin. Right. Horseshit. They wish. But if you know, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... So the problem they're, is they're Amer- astroturf, but we we smell that coming before. But it's interesting to get this two verifying pieces of data now. We've got U.S. State Department funding for sure, and we've got uh, leaked this leaked document showing that in Washington, they know that the Mossad is explicitly helping to help it along. It's a global hegemonia. It's 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 a, it's a U.S. exceptionalist organization. Um, what we're going to see going forward is as this continues this. Emerging multipolar world order uh, grows and increases. We're going to see the extent to which America has access internally to various different countries to the to the workings of, of of different states that are strategically important, that are important for national security interests. Um, we're going to see the extent to which they're able to still control it without the, the help or the connivance of that state itself. Uh, for example, um, yeah, well, I'll give you an example in a minute. But uh, I just wanted to throw this in before we before we get too far ahead in that one. This is um, he's just voicing basically what we're saying. You're seeing comments like this from all sorts of different people. We've heard uh, U.S. politicians. You read out some U.S. politicians who've seen Marco Rubio uh, lamenting it and, and saying we've got to do something about this. But there's other people who are a bit less uh, a bit bit less emotional about it. But let's invest in it. This is uh, um, the former tre- uh, Treasury Chief, Treasury Secretary uh, Larry Summers. Oh, I saw that. Uh, <laughs> he warned of troubling signs that the U.S. is losing global influence as other powers align together and win favor among nations not yet aligned. 
There's a growing acceptance of fragmentation and maybe even more troubling, I think there's a growing sense that others may not be the best fragment <laughs> to be associated with. Sorry, that ours may not be the best fragment to be associated with. Uh, that's, yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. It is, but there's another interesting comment. So Larry Summers, he's a big brain, right? He can, he can objectively assess that situation sort of in a detached way mm -hmm. as a kind of globalist American. If you go back to that article, though, towards the end, <clears throat> do a keyword search for history. Oh, you can't, you can't read it? Yeah, you can. Okay. <clears throat> I, I have an archive version of it as well, if we can. At the end, as a sign off on this statement, he says, just, he's just nailed it, basically, in the broad strokes. But mm -hmm. then he says, we, Americans, are on the right side of history with our commitment to democracy, with our resistance to aggression in Russia. Mm, of course he has to say that. But it's looking a bit lonely on the right side of history. Mm. As as those who seem much less on the right side of history are increasingly banding together in a whole range of obstruction. So, <laughs> well, that's always these the case. People, you know? These people are going to go down, and they're going to go down believing in their awesomeness. Yep, that's I, the way it goes with I those do, kind of people. It's like, yeah, he, he sees it, but he doesn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's looking a bit lonely on the right side of history. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like the. The, the voice in the wilderness, you even, know what I mean? Even as now, his historical processes, that's what Putin and Lavrov call what's going on, mm -hmm. are judging them. Mm -hmm. They're like, history's with us. Yeah. No, dude, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, for some reason, every time I think of the, 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 the future of, um, of, of America and American politicians and those people who, who speak about it. You ever seen the movie, uh, I think it's called Cape Fear, isn't it? Uh, Robert De Niro on the boat. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know at the end? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's going down. The he's ship. going down with the boat and babbling, like talking in yeah. tongues. You know, he's just, he's, he's a bit of a lunatic anyway throughout the movie, but he's yeah. this crazy psycho killer guy. And, um, he's, he's, you know, he's pathologically obsessed with his own, with, with, with his mission that he's on to kind of like seek revenge and vengeance, uh, and to right the wrongs type thing. And, um, he just ends up uh, being the, the the facilitator of his own destruction. But even as he's kind of dying, basically, or going going down with his boat uh, that's sinking, he goes down and he's unmasked kind of at the end, you know, and he's just babbling away, you know. Uh, that that image keeps coming back to me as uh, uh, that's what we're going to... In essence, that's what will be the, the, the nature of uh, American thinking on, on on the world as... They start to lose their position in the world and they try to make sense of it and they can't make sense of it and they keep doing what they've always done and because they don't know how to do anything else and keep uh, getting not just the same results but worse and worse and worse results. Yeah, and doubling down. And, and doubling down. And and every, everyone's conspiring against us. Mm. Out of paranoia. The, the, the Western reports about the developments in the Middle East are just... Wow, I think they are generally. I'm surprised that they're generally surprised. Mm -hmm. You think with all their massive mass surveillance of both allies and foes, mm -hmm. did they not see some of this stuff coming? Well, apparently not. Um, I mean, director of the CIA, William Burns, is it William? Mm -hmm. uh, goes to Saudi Arabia last week to quote express concerns <laughs> about the thaw in relations between Iran and Syria. Jesus, I mean, he, no, I think he's going because like. 
They're like, guys, what, what's going on? I, I, I'm surprised. And the U.S., then the Pentagon, what is doing, it sends a nuclear sub to the Middle East, quote, to ward off the threat from Iran. Right. You can do that all you want. But just in the last week, Saudi Arabia has announced an end to the Yemen war, which is a proxy war against Iran, basically. Um, they've already had massive prisoner exchanges um, taking place, hundreds, something like 800 on each side. The Syrian foreign minister has visited Riyadh as well mm -hmm. for the first time, apart from the UN. This is the first time he's left the country in years. Um, the United Arab Emirates, Egypt, Oman, Algeria, and Jordan have all followed Saudi Arabia in resuming formal diplomatic ties with Syria. Syria is to rejoin the Arab League. That's happening soon. Um, like, I, I don't think the, the only way that can all happen so quickly is that those guys were conspiring mm. they have to keep that quiet like, yeah. um and then the, Amer the americans didn't know mm. they didn't know because they're so wishfully or narrow-minded blo mm -hmm. bloody mindedly focused There's... on one thing and then and then it's like what what's well, going they, on they built it up for so long they're so secure in their own in their own position and power and control and belief that they can control everybody and have done for quite a long time that they just, the idea that these people would ever rebel against them in any way would, it's just unthinkable. It's just, they can't think about it. They can't, the thing is you, they can't think about that. Not only physically in a certain sense, they won't go there because of their delusion, but even if they were able to think about it, they don't have a solution for that. They can't game that scenario uh, and create a, a solution for it on uh, what we should do. Uh, in the event that this happens, in the event that this is happening, or if we accept the fact that this is happening, our allies, our former allies are, 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 are moving away from us, what do we do in that situation? There is no, because the, their question of what we do in that situation is, isn't an op, isn't left there. It's what do we do in that situation to stop that from happening? What do we do in that situation to get them back into the fold? And, I mean, the tide of history is uh, tide of history is turning, and, and and the global power structures are changing towards multi multipolarity, and you can't stop that. So you're asking a question. It's like it's like asking, you know, there's there's waves coming in here. You know, you're at the seashore, you're on the beach, and there's big waves coming in, and you say, "Those waves." So how do we uh, how do we stop those? You know, let's can we do some run some modeling or something, or maybe some war games? How to stop those waves? You know, mm -hmm. and so obviously you don't you don't ask that question, you don't go there because you some part of you knows there's no no yeah. way that you can yeah. do that, so you just fall further into delusion, right? You just keep repeating the same thing. You kind of pretend that it's not happening effectively, or you make up some narrative about, you know, maybe there's some perspicacity among some of them, where but the, the best they can come up with is to try and set fires around the place. You know what I mean? To to like. Um, well, if this country, Sudan this week, yeah, ex example in Sudan, if if there's uh, if Russia is encroaching or China is encroaching too much in any particular African country that is uh, of strategic important to, importance to us, then uh, well, we need to uh, wreck it a little bit. I mean, we, it's it's almost the, the Samson option the, of uh, if if um, if we can't have it, no one can. That's as far as their thinking goes. And it's not very rational thinking at all because obviously they don't get it either. You know, when, when you're at that point, when you're thinking uh, along those lines of that they can't have it, no, if we can't have it, no one can, uh, you're in trouble. Like, you know, you're yeah. going, you, that's not a solution. Um, it's almost like we've come to the end of game theory. 
Yeah. You know how obsessed they were with game theory. John Nash, beautiful mind. Turns out that only works or the theory only holds if everyone in it is playing it. Right. But if you come along with win-win Chinese style and everything is open, it doesn't mean that everyone's trusting, you know, in believing in fairy tales and unicorns, but in an open source, open intelligence world, you can't hide what your real intentions are. You blow up Nord Stream and go, Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know who did that. Yeah, exactly. Everyone fucking sees who you did it. Well, at that point, you need, Game Theory isn't going to work anymore. You need serious control of the media. But even then, people start disbelieving the media because the media is simply parroting your very implausible scenario. Right. And again, there's no, I mean, on the Sudan thing, there's a, just a basic thing on the Sudan is that uh, there's this, this group called, you've got the Sudanese government and the Sudanese military, official military, and then you've got this other group called the Rabbit Support Forces, which were created, you know, several, five or six, seven years ago uh, as a result of the US, for U.S. trained? Yeah, more, well, more or less, yeah. Um, at least, you know, partly. Um, there's about 100,000 of them. They have a leader. And uh, the conflict right now, in essence, is over the fact that the official Sudanese government and the military wanted this Rabbit, rabbit Support Forces group to join the official military and the leader of that group said nah because then i'd lose power so let's have a fight um but this tweet actually um is this guy makes this claim he's a he's officially according to his twitter bio he's a filmmaker media consultant actor author activist conservative he's anyway he's in sudan and he says that um Contrary to the information published by me yesterday, according to a Sudanese-based news network, it is now being reported that it is indeed the current transitional, transitional government regime in Sudan that is considered pro-Russian. So that's the official government in, in Sudan is considered pro-Russian. In other words, Wagner-affiliated and not the rival uh, rabid support forces. Uh, he had said the opposite, but according to, uh, anyway, for what it's worth, according to a uh, Sudanese network, uh, news network, the, the way it the way it's divvied up in Sudan right now is that the Russians and probably the Chinese are supporting uh, the official government and the official military and it's the US and uh, actually on the rest of that tweet it's also being alleged that the head of the rapid support forces actually spoke with special envoys from the US and the UK and Norway just 48 hours before yesterday's coup attempt at the top. Uh, Just 48 hours before yesterday's coup attempt. Um, So coincidence Coincidence. Um, it's a coincidence. Um, Show us the dance, Joe. No. I'll do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get, get camera on Joe there. I'm not dancing. Shoulders. Do the shoulders. No, I, I, do, I do that. I only do that in private. Um, so. Uh, surprise OPEC plus oil cut in production. Uh, yeah. That was announced uh, two weeks ago now. But still, that's on top of what they did back in last October. Right. And the, uh, when I say surprise, I mean, Saudis I think DC was genuinely like, again, what? No, what are you doing? Because mm-hmm. um, one thing about Sudan, before, Russia, we move on, before we move on, the other thing, the interest, obviously the interest in Sudan, as in many other places where these kind of conflicts happen, um, result down to military bases, presence in the country and natural resources. In Sudan, different kinds of minerals and gold. Um, I think the Sudanese government had actually promised or had made a tentative agreement with Russia to allow them to establish a military base on the Sudanese coast, which is on the coast of the uh, Red Sea. 
the Red Sea. Um, so that's all in play, basically. So it's a kind of great game. Great powers wrangling over certain countries and vying for control uh, of those countries. And of course, that's always happened. <clears throat> but America had a significant uh, leverage and, and advantage for most of the last, like we said, you know, 70, 80 years. But now with individual countries seeing that the wind is changing towards multipolarity, individual countries around the world are more open to and and in their own uh, national interest open to aligning with someone other than America, which causes these kind of events and will create more of these kind of events, most likely. Although, Although probably with people less... People are smarter to them as well. People are wiser to them and there'll probably be less violence than there has been because America to maintain its hegemonic status and its control over various different countries had to create a lot of chaos and conflict at certain times in order to achieve that status, to, to, to stop any kind of natural order or more natural order uh, because hege- hegemony is not a natural order. Uh, they had to, to impose that. They had to start some fires and create some chaos uh, in, in quite, a, quite, a, quite a few places around the world over the past you know, 50, 60 years. Brzezinski's arc of crisis. Yes, but as as America's power wanes, it's less able to do that. So we'll probably see, well, you might think that there'd be more chaos as America struggles for, for, for keeping keeping hold of, of con- keeping the control that it has had. It's less able to actually create the chaos that it created, that it used to, to, to gain control of the country in the first place. You know what I mean? And if it, it doesn't have the support of the local government, if it doesn't have the access and the influence and the control as much as it had before in that uh, local local country or local government, it's not simply not going to be able to do what it did, uh, what it has done in the past, which well, is you know start coups, that sounds like front front militias. Yeah, are you, are you forecasting less chaos in the coming years? Yeah, I mean, yeah, except if those dollars start returning home. Well, there's other types of chaos that that are not related specifically to kind of geopolitical. Uh, wrangling and mm. you know intrigue and coups and color revolutions, border wars and uh, yeah, yeah, the like. They're not really able to do it. I mean, if they, if they're able to, America has no no ability and no appetite for starting any kind of an actual shooting war with anybody at this point. That's why you see what's happening in Ukraine: proxy war, proxy war here, proxy war there. They're, but like I said, their ability to to foment and you know encourage proxy wars in different countries, I think, is going to be reduced. Uh, as as in the in the in the in the short term, in the coming years, it it would like to be able to do that, but it's not going to be able to do it because it doesn't have. You have to have a certain amount of leverage. You have to have presence in a country to do that. Significant presence in a country to stage a coup, to start a to start a color revolution. You have to have significant presence. They were able to do it in Israel because they had, uh, um, they had Israeli intelligence elements within Israeli Mossad who were there to do the job for them. But if the local government no longer is starting to not be so friendly with America anymore, they're going to just shut the door on them and kick, kick you know, American organizations or American agents out. And then you simply can't, you can't do what you have done in the past. You know, those kind of really effective color revolutions were a function of America having overweening influence within a foreign country. As those countries start to say, "Listen, we're not really so cool with America anymore. We don't, you know, we don't need to like do what you say anymore. We've got we've got backup from Russia and China and whoever else, and other countries in the region are thinking the same way. Uh, piss off, you know, get out. And then, how are you going to start your color revolution? Color revolution. 
You know, so I think it'll be there'll be less capable of doing so it. America might become a peaceful country. They might internationally, but at home, they might. That energy's got to go somewhere. They well, got to they got to kill some. There's a whole financial. Got to kill some natives. So yeah, well, there's a whole financial situation. You know, America can't become a peaceful country. Just say, okay, we had a good run of it over the past hundred years, whatever. You know, dollar was reserve currency. You know, mm, oil price in dollars. Yeah, that was all good. But you know, we can let that go now. Okay, well, dollar doesn't need to be the reserve currency anymore. Don't price oil in dollars anymore. International trade, yeah, let's not bother. It can be in any currency. You think, obviously, they can't just sit back and let it happen because that's economic foobar, right? All those dollars floating around. Hyperinflation. They have to come back home and America has to downsize to a more realistic um, version. Budget. Or, well, a more a more realistic assessment of its actual of the actual value of America, uh, as, as it relates to the amount of dollars in circulation. You know, so yeah, it can't do that. It's stuck. It's put itself in a bind, basically. And um, I don't know what they're going to do. Mm. It's too late, basically. Yeah. At this point, they could have done something. Maybe ten years ago or something like that was the last chance they had. Uh, to see the way the wind was blowing because you could see it even then. Um, but they doubled down on it and said, no, that's never going to happen. The band's going to make it and we're going we're gonna to double down on it and it's too late now. They put themselves in a position where they simply can't back out. So they will try, for sure, all sorts of different ways and means. But So I'm not saying there won't be chaos as a result of you know declining American hegemony, uh, but I think the extent to which they're able to create chaos or the extent of the chaos that they that they can create will be less because their power is declining and countries are turning away from them. Bye-bye, America. Nice knowing you. There was of another... Course. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, connection? Maybe not. Another mass shooting in the US last week. Yeah. Any comment? In... Louis, Louisville, I think they pronounce it, Louisville, Kentucky. They have one of them every weekend now, no? It's like a national sport, no? That's two in quick succession, yeah. I I can't really, at this point. There's just too many guns in America, At this point, well, I can't comment on it. Like, I mean, it's like, I don't think many Americans even comment on it anymore. No. The media comments on it, obviously, but it's like, it's so far for the course. It's like, okay, that's what America does, right? It's part of the national culture. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Another mass shooting, meh. Um, it used to be horrifying and big news and in the news for weeks, but not anymore. Um, what about these 18,000 cows? What the hell? Massive explosion killed 18,000 cows at a dairy farm in Dimmit, Texas. Nah, they said an explosion. I don't think anyone knows for sure that it was an explosion. There was a fire for sure. Um, it looked like a mushroom cloud, but I think it's just the extent of the smoke from the huge facility. Um, Dimmit, Texas, I think it's in North Texas. Um, this is someone driving by while it's happening. You, it's, you've probably seen footage. It's a, just a vast mega farm. Too many cows in one place, but... Yeah, 18,000 dead cows. Um, how the hell does that happen? Well, it can happen in any number of ways. Obviously, there's shit tons of methane around the place because of the cows, but 
That is one hell of a fire. There's been, yeah. For context, it's the deadliest barn fire in U.S. history. Yeah. There's something very uh, strange going on. That's, by the way, that's enough meat for three days to feed the entire American population. Three days? Yeah. Um, there's there's very uh, strange things going on. Um, have a look at this. You may notice, you may, um, this is just a summation of what's going on in the past, just the past five days, right? Um, these are just headlines in the past five days. Um, oh, it's not showing? Click on them all then. No, it's not showing. Oops. Just click on each one. Oh, no, it's not working? Okay. Yeah, you got to be logged in. Uh, anyway, I'll read them out. Freight train carrying hazardous materials to rails in Maine. That was on the 15th. Uh, firefighters extinguished plant fire that re- reignited in Brunswick, Georgia and prompted evacuations. Uh, that's on the 16th. Then your one thousands of cattle killed in an explosion at a fire in Texas dairy farm. Huge fire at New, New, New Jersey recycling plant burned for hours after causing commuting nightmare. Toxic smoke is spewing from an inferno at a recycling plant known as a fire hazard, officials say. The flames could burn for days. And a truck carrying 40,000 pounds of toxic soil from East Palestine train derailment site crashes on highway. So oh, that, no that way. Last one. <laughs> You're kidding me. So those are like those six events all happened in the past five days. And it's all toxic plumes, explosions, fires, burning. It's just bizarre. I mean, quinky dink, coincidence. I don't know. Um, that's crazy. That's a lot. I mean, the, that's what the sh- the standard protocol would have done. That when that train crashed in the Palestine at the time, you would have collected the materials, took, taken it away, and buried it somewhere. So they finally do it after blowing it up and deliberately letting it burn at the atmosphere, and then the trucks carrying the dirt crash. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I think there's, there's, yeah, we're talking about chaos. The chaos may, they may be becoming limited in ability to create chaos abroad, but at least some of that is, is coming home. If we can't do it abroad, we need to create chaos at home. There's, yeah. there's some, there's something about a huge swathe of Americans, not the majority, but a large number of them. They're just nuts. Yeah, it's it's in it's that mindset you described earlier. If I if if I can't have it all, no one can have any of it. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, one one possibility is that someone in the U.S. with a bit more, bit more of an objective perspective on it and sees the way the wind is blowing, knows what's going to happen, knows what's co- coming down the pipeline, is is attempting to, uh, you know, set the scene for for for, for controlling. Um, pop, the population in the U.S. as as an economic crisis blooms, you know, problems, serious economic problems occur in the U.S. And I don't know how I blown up, <laughs> blown up uh, dairy farms and stuff, you know, uh, is falls into that category. It's more like encouraging it to happen, um, but encouraging something to happen that we want to stave off. Uh, maybe it's. Maybe you need to be a psycho to understand it. Yeah. Who can fathom their minds? See those those link. Just to throw up that uh, image there, Scotty. Uh, it just, pff, it was AP News, I think. 
this was whenever the leaks were first announced. This is what the media said. Sorry. Russia likely behind US military document leak. And they had it up until a few days ago. They still had it up there, even though the guy was, the guy was arrested and Yahoo still had that up. Russia did it. Yeah. If in doubt, Russia did it. It's pathetic. Like, I mean, and then of course you had, and people probably saw Elon Musk's interview with BBC and how that yeah. guy was just such, uh, such an idiot in terms of, I mean, just so ideologically possessed in terms of his, 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 when he his, was, his thinking. He was asking Musk about, you know, about Twitter and about censorship. And he, and he just, like, he couldn't put, he couldn't string a coherent thought together, basically. And that's the media. That's, these are the people who are reporting this. And this is the media as well, yes. telling me that Russia, Russia was behind the leaks. Every, I mean, it's bizarre. Well, well, that, it's, that's it's, why. It's, it's, it's some kind of like, it's, it's a mental disorder. Yeah, and it's, it's strong in people who are close to government because media is now a function <coughs> of being in government, in public office in the West. That's what they all sound like. Mm-hmm. Um, Musk, like Trump, is not on that side, so he can, he can make more sense, mm-hmm. you know, um, by simply asking a question. That thing about the hate speech. Well, Musk says, give, give me one example. Blah, blah, blah. No, no, I can't remember now. Yeah, then, I don't have turn, one. then it turns out he, at the end, he said, well, I'm citing this organization that says they right. have looked at Twitter right. and found hate speech. But how, is, that, is that what you call journalism? Like, you know, yeah, somebody I heard, somebody I read, something I read on the internet says that there's hate speech on Twitter. What are you going to do about it? It must be true because it's, because there's hate speech on Twitter. Yeah. Do you have any examples of hate speech on Twitter? No, I can't think of any. But the organizing question is, is a gongo. I call them because they're not really NGOs. They're government organized, mm-hmm. non-governmental organizations. Right. It's a gongo of which he is also a member of being in a media, corporate media organization. The they're all, what well, the BBC guy, if he had any kind of self-awareness would have been asking Musk. So, um, Elon, our side says that there's hate speech on Twitter because it's all one side. They're mm-hmm. all, they may as well be apparatchiks or functionaries of. Mm-hmm. The state structure, mm-hmm. and this, but they don't this recognize is, themselves as that. No, they don't. But Musk is. Na- I think he's doing a great job by bit by bit saying that the BBC is state funded, NPR state state backed. Well, state they backed down BBC, <laughs> BBC by, because that's what they are. He backed down BBC by calling it labeling publicly funded. It's still it's something, you know, because they don't want that. No, no, no. We're separate. We're independent. Yeah. We're free. We're liberal. Yeah. You know. Yeah. One thing we forgot to mention, uh, just in the change in the Middle East, um, pretty interesting as well, ties in with what you were saying. Saudi set to host top Hamas delegation. Uh, Palestinian terror groups, this is the Times of Israel, obviously, Palestinian terror groups, political leadership, reported to arrive on Sunday today and discuss improving relations after years of tension. So these are all little things that are happening. Because the the time is time is right. Mm. The times they are changing. Yeah, and then there's this last one. Uh, there are two more chemical derailments, ke- train derailments that caused major chemical spills last week in the US as well. Yeah, I said I I don't know. No one knows because no one's officialdom says. Oh no, it's fine. Ha- they happen all the time, but they seem to happen a lot more late. Yeah. Um, what about those documents? Declassified Guantanamo court filing suggests some 9-11 hijackers or CIA agents. Yes, that was, that was the RT was, RT's cheeky headline about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found the source report, well, the source court filing, 
uh, and there there's one American outlet that reported on it. It's it's like a blog or something. That's one too many in Florida. Um, mm, mm, mm. Hang on. It didn't. It it the, the court filing doesn't quite say that. No. Some of the nine eleven hijackers were CIA agents. No. It says that the it it has detailed testimony. Do you have it from? Oh, hang on. I have, I have to search. Um, nah, don't worry. But just uh, no, I know it from memory, but no, I I don't have it to show. Um. Yeah, just tell us what it is then. <clears throat> um. It's not that the court filing says that some of the hijackers were CIA exactly, but that the FBI guy who was giving the affidavit in the court case, this is because this is the ongoing court issue about whether or not Saudi Arabia as a mm-hmm. government was involved in 9-11. So what it's showing is something we knew at the time, but it's probably news to a bigger audience that um, – the FBI was repeatedly spied on, hamstrung, blocked, and then sometimes physically stopped by CIA, actual CIA agents from pursuing their investigations that showed that some of the 9-11 hijackers were indeed passes or assets. Of the CIA. Not that they were actual CIA agents, but that's that's close enough. To, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, the RT reports on it, that's it. Yeah, There's one blogger in Florida who took the court filing and made a PDF of it so it's publicly available. Mm-hmm. That's it. The rest is crickets. So. Yeah. Well, that's old old news, right? It's nothing to do with today. 9-11 has nothing to do with what was going on in the world today, right? He said facetiously. It has, yeah. Yeah. 9-11 was supposed to prevent... 9-11 was... If you see the waves coming at the shore... And they, they, they're in Washington and they're saying, so what do we do about that? 9-11 was their answer. It was their one shot. Mm-hmm. And they got some, they got some, they, mi- got, they got a lot of mileage out of it. Got 20 years out of it. 20 years, 20 years of ironclad deals with Israel. Uh, and now it's over. And it's over. Yeah. Well. Have you got anything else? No, I'm done. I'm done too. Uh, yep. So that's the state of the world. That's a broad picture on what's going on in the world. We didn't mention what's going on in Russia, but or sorry, in in Ukraine. Um, but Bakhmut is still falling. Um, I'll have to wait and see what actually happens. But um, the Bakhmut cauldron is bubbling. Is bubbling, yeah. But um, it's pretty horrible, actually. But those people, the Ukrainians, are you know, it's always a case of war, I suppose. You know. Uh, soldiers go to war and not think about why they're going to war and not care and that's their fate so um but i think it may we'll have to see where it goes it just depends on whether or not the u.s and and its western partners are are able willing and able to continue to <clears throat> funnel enough <clears throat> weapons into the country <coughs> over the next few months if they stop and things are going to change pretty quickly. Of course, there's the claim that once Bakhmut would fall, then the way is open across, right across over to the Dnieper River and, and further on, you know, that uh, there wouldn't be much much left in the way of resistance. And there's much talk about that Ukrainian offensive. And the much-touted Ukrainian offensive is going to take back Crimea and, uh, you know, Donbass and everything. 
a lot of it's talk. All the way, all the way to Moscow. But it's still a war of attrition that's been going on obviously since the beginning, and uh, we're just going to wait to see if something breaks and and something collapses again. It would be over a long, long time ago if the US and and European countries had never got involved. Well, obviously, if the US had never started the conflict in the first place, it would never um, never have started. But certainly, if um, if they the moment they lose lose interest or faith and motivation to continue to or ability to start to, to keep funneling weapons the ukrainians well then you can't have a war if you've got nothing to shoot at your enemy with so we'll have to see it may it may happen between now and the summer you know so anyway we'll leave it there for this week folks thanks for listening commenting and um and watching and don't forget to smash all the buttons because uh, that's what you're meant to do uh, we'll be back next week with another show until then have a good one see ya see you next week bye can't stop the signal now mm-hmm.